Hello and welcome to episode five of the Big Chill Podcast, the Spotify situation. All right, boys, episode five, you know what that means. We'll come right out and say it. We are now on Spotify. It's a big milestone check for us. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, who knows, maybe Barstool's next. Eddie will be pumped about that one, I'm sure. Uh, so let's say, say hi to everyone. Eddie, how's it going? I can see you're very much in tune on the uh, United match, so hopefully you can give us your full attention. Yeah, don't worry. I'm, I'm focused, but yeah, there's seven minutes left of regular of the 90 in the in the united match so nil nil so all to play for there bit surprising because obviously united were pretty heavy favorites so they've not i was saying to sam sam before that they're a little bit feast or famine so this is definitely the famine for united right now but and i'm also just going to say no way to barstool no matter how much money they throw at us no no barstool but as this is the Spotify situation and Spotify have been buying up podcasts, if Spotify want to buy us, that's fine. Why don't you want to go on Barstool so bad? Because I'm not a racist. <laughs> he just, he loves Barstool so much that he doesn't want to, you know, ruin the love he has for it by being put into the Barstool family. He likes to be Yeah, they say, objective. exactly. They say you'll never meet your heroes, right? And so it would be really weird to just suddenly be kind of an equal on with so many incredible big J journalists. Sam, how's it going with you? Yeah, pretty good. Um, it's been absolutely baking in uh, the UK since we were last on a podcast, but um, been pretty good. Watched some of the golf. How did you both find it? Yeah, I mean, it's one of the best, best majors in a long time. I mean, the fact that you had multiple, for basically the inf- entire final day, it was a six-way tie almost. I mean, it kind of that was just it was incredible to watch and the really satisfying thing to me too because you had the fear with maybe three or four holes to go that someone was going to win because the other players messed up and in the end i think it was great the fact that morikawa won because he came up with two incredible shots and so i think a that's nice for him i mean i I doubt he would have really cared but also you know like paul casey was when you listen to him being interviewed as soon as he watched walked off the 18th green I think for him to accept the fact that you finished second, but it was because someone else was was brilliant for a moment, is a lot easier to to deal with than to think that you got a bogey or a double bogey with you know one or two holes to play. Yeah, I I completely agree. I think he definitely won it as opposed to other people losing it and him kind of just holding on. The other, the only thing I'll say against that is it also would have been really neat to have a five person playoff or something crazy because at one point it looked like it was going to be a six to seven person playoff that would have just been bonkers to watch it would have been well so also with the format that they have for that because the situation there right is it's not a sudden death playoff it's three holes it was going to be the 16 17 18 and also no matter how big the playoff was going to be they were all going to play at the same yeah. in one big in one big group so you had this prospect that there were going to be like seven players playing the same hole at the same time it would have been really cool. That would have been a really unique, cool situation. Um, but otherwise, yeah, it was really fun to watch. Um, unfortunately, I didn't have uh, Marikawa backed, which sucked. Um, Eddie had tipped it to me at the start of round four. Uh, I took instead, I took Champ and Scheffler, who both played decent. I mean, at least they were in it for most of it. Champ had that double bogey that just destroyed him. I think that kind of mentally knocked him out of it a little bit, but he played pretty well and Scheffler played really good. He was up in, I think at 11 under for a while. 
uh, or even did he get up to 12? No, I think it was like 11. He was tied for the lead for a good portion. So it was, you know, for me, it made it entertaining to watch. I didn't have much. I mean, just a little bit just to make it fun to root for someone besides DeChambeau, which was, I guess, the big scare after four holes. Solid. Yeah, solid uh, I was so concerned after four holes that he was going to come through, but good thing he didn't. Just before the podcast as well, we were chatting about Poulter, Mr. Mr. Ryder Cup. Had such a terrible first round, then all of a sudden is way up there in the leaderboard. So that's... Um... Yeah, if he could have had a halfway decent first round. I mean, obviously he got to play with no pressure on him, although he had the pressure to make the cut after I think he was six over in round one. But fundamentally, he got to play Saturday and Sunday just as a sort of for fun almost and just to chase more prize money. So it might have been different. I mean, the one thing you can say is Morikawa got really lucky with the chip in. Uh, and that was a, to, for when he took the lead, that was a big moment. And that probably for him psychologically kind of gave you the sense for him that like it was going to be his day maybe because yeah. he'd, met, he'd messed up the approach and then in actual fact probably underhit his chip, which is what gave it the momentum to run into the hole. And if he'd actually hit his chip sort of totally purely, would have come a couple feet short. But that was that was the big moment. And then you could just say, I mean... Bryson, in a sense, was the only other player because he had his. He tried to do something very similar to Morikawa on the 16th, and was a couple of inches away from having exactly the same result. And if he'd been able to get an eagle on 16th, it, it would have also. I think that would have put him into the the lead at the time, and that probably would have changed things as well. I I really liked what they did with that 16th hole. I mean, I always like when there's a hole that's drivable, but I really like the fact that they put it that far back in the course where it could be that game changer, which it obviously was for Morikawa. Like it completely changed, you know, he won based off of that beautiful shot and it was an amazing shot. And it's really neat that you have that there. If you know, you're one or two down, you can start thinking, do I go for it? Do I, you know, lay up and take a really nice approach and get the birdie. So that was a really cool thing. I think Warren Harding would be proud of how they designed that golf course for him with that hole. He's, you know, he's definitely, it's a proud moment for him. Yeah, Morikawa will, will be delighted to know that for the rest of his life, his, his, his career will be forever tied to such a prestigious president. Maybe he was inspired by the um, quiz questions and the facts that you gave us on Thursday. Yeah, he probably listened to the episode and he thought, if I'm ever going to win a major, this is the one I want. Because how many times are you going to get to name, get to, to play a major on a course named after such an incredible man? So... That makes sense. I think, I think we can take some credit for his victory. So, so one of the things I was kind of questioning, I guess, that I wanted to see what you guys thought. When they were asking him about his shot on the 16th, he was saying how, obviously, you know, he's super pumped about the shot, but it was a little disappointing that there weren't fans there because that would have been a moment where the place just went insane and was going crazy. And for me, I wonder, you know, he's saying that because obviously he wants the crowd to get into it, but would he have played the same had there been a crowd there with someone who this is only his second major? And I guess the, the thing you have to think about is a lot of people who were interviewed about him afterwards had said that he was definitely an up-and-comer and they know how good he is and how great he could be. So maybe he, you know, I'm not saying he's the next Tiger Woods, but maybe he's one of those players who has that confidence like Tiger Woods came when he was on the scene, when he was, you know, 20, 22 years old. So maybe the crowd would have even helped him more, but it seems to me a little fishy that 
someone who's never been in a pressure situation like that was upset the crowd wasn't there. Because I, I, I think he probably should have been excited the crowd wasn't there almost to not to keep him level toned. I don't know. I think you'd, you would hope that any professional athlete would say, I wish the crowd had been there because they're going to assume that they wouldn't have crumbled under the pressure. It'd be like a pretty, pretty sad statement as a professional golfer to say, thank God no one was here to watch because otherwise there's no way I could have done that. But yeah, who knows? Uh, there were a lot of inexperienced players at the top of the leaderboard. So, yeah. so maybe, maybe it would have, uh, you know, it would have played out differently had you had a crowd at the same time. You know, that also means it's difficult to judge because fundamentally, with the exception of Dustin Johnson, there was no one involved in the finish who had done it in a major before with a crowd. And I mean, Paul Casey obviously is an extremely experienced golfer and who's had a lot of success on sort of in match play events. But in terms of majors, he'd, he's obviously never won. And so even even you could argue that even for someone, you know, he's 20 years older than Morikawa but it wouldn't have necessarily benefited him to have a bunch have a crowd there. The only thing I also will say is you kept, there wasn't a crowd, but there were, when you, there were a surprising number of people there or in around the course and Morikawa was obviously the local favorite. I mean, I guess, cause he went to Berkeley, but whenever he sank a putt, there was an audible noise from either, you know, fans kind of watching around or from people who were kind of volunteering there, I guess. And you didn't have that for all the other players. Yeah, there was that one hole too where I, I don't remember what hole it was exactly, but where the players teed off, it was an area where fans could kind of, it was close to, I guess, the fence or whatever. And that was always a really cool hole. You'd see people tee off and it would just, they would just yell for no, like, no matter what the tee shot was, they were just yelling because, you know, like, oh, golf's back. Woo. And that was pretty cool to see some of the players kind of interact with them. I know Tiger Woods they were screaming stuff when Tiger was playing and he like went over and like was like, yeah, and gave him a nod and a, and a hand wave. Gave a few so girls that was kind of cool. his phone number. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but wasn't it, um, McElroy said before, um, before it started, he was like, regardless of the situation, players can't use the lack of fans as an excuse anymore. Like they've been playing enough golf now. Like, so what he was basically saying is my form has been terrible and I could probably say it's a bit eerie and that's why it's been a little bit off, but he was saying at this point, I don't think there's many people, if anyone that can say your golf game would be different, whether there's fans there or not. So I I think that's also Rory probably acknowledging the fact that he's run out of excuses. Well, that, that is him saying that he's basically come out and he's been, no, it's not just him. It's not just him saying golfers in general can't use the lack of fans as an excuse. He's just basically saying, I can't use anything as an excuse at this point because I've gone from being the next big thing and the person who everyone thought was going to challenge the sort of Nicholas major record at one point to now, you know, can he be trusted to make a cut? Is he ever going to be in contention at a major again? I mean, if I had to, se- if I had to tell you Rory McIlroy, top five again in his career in a major or no, I'm not taking total confidence on picking the top five. You have to assume he's still, you know, young and he's going to have so many majors left in him that you think that he would get there. But there's nothing from his play to make you think that he's ever going to be the force that he once was. Who do you think could be, I mean, I guess bust is a strong word, but who will ha- uh, who would have the more disappointing career, do you think, him or Jordan Spieth? 
I would say if they if we assume that neither one of them wins another major, I think Rory would would have had the more disappointing career because even though Spieth obviously had that sort of two two year period where he looked almost unstoppable and people thought he was the next big thing, I think in terms of all around talent, McIlroy is the more talented golfer, and he had the distance and he had you know just sort of more shots in his locker, whereas Spieth was basically a sort of consistent reliable golfer and an incredible putter that was kind of what dragged him to win after win and that's to me that feels more like you're tapping i mean it kind of downplays the importance of a short game i guess but it makes me feel like he he was sort of maxing out his talents in that period whereas i think you know mcelroy was just sort of living up to the to the kind of quite rightfully high expectations yeah, I guess Spieth never had a video game, right? Well, yeah. To be fair, <laughs> that that McElroy version of EA actually doomed the franchise. Like EA actually then dropped the golf game, and they've given the rights away, and there's that new 2K one. So you could argue that that you was a really that bad move. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, God. it's a curse, right? It was the first game without words. Wait, and it was their last are, game that sold terribly. Are you blaming? Are you blaming Rory for? The EA Sports downfall, or are you blaming EA no, Sports for the Rory? No, no, no. I'm, I'm. I guess I'm calling it a bit of like a Duke curse kind of thing that, like, well, actually, Rory touched it, and it's therefore doomed it. <laughs> Rory gets two blames in a way there because not only was he the start of the demise of EA and EA's golfing dominance, but he was also he signed that huge contract with Nike when Nike still made clubs. He signed that sort of hundred million dollar Nike deal. And six months later, they stopped making clubs. So it was basically just really overpaying him to wear a Nike hat and polo. So we do have a McElroy curse. It's, it's possible. I mean, he's still been successful since both of those things happened. But yeah, you could maybe say that. I don't know if I'd rush to sponsor McElroy. Put it that way. I might feel a little bit worried. If I was weighing up, who am I going to have? Like Kepka or, or McElroy as a sponsorship deal? I think I'd take Kepka. He was player of the year last year, though. Oh, no. McElroy makes... This is the thing, right? People are critical of McElroy. He makes a ton of money because he is consistent in the sense that he gets a lot of top 20, a lot of top 10 finishes. He wins tournaments in sort of smaller uh, venues from time to time. So he's always up there on the sort of seat, on the you know FedEx uh, points chase. Um, he's always on prize money. He's always right up there. So... I don't think there's a lot of players who wouldn't switch careers with Rory McIlroy. But in terms of he went from someone who they were talking about winning 10 plus majors, and that's probably not going to happen now. Yeah, golf is a very, it's, it's, it's majors driven in terms of being remembered. I don't think people are going to remember McIlroy's consistent top 10 finishes, you know, 30 years down the line, but they'll remember the amount of um, opens he won or the amount of majors he won. You know, that's exactly why the most famous people are known for the amount of um, majors they win. Yeah, He'll I be remembered agree. for ruining the franchise of EA Sports golf. And Nike. And Nike's and golf. Nike. <laughs> and Wozniacki. Did he oh, ruin yeah. Wozniacki? I mean, I don't want to try and I don't want to try and imply that their marriage ruined her career, but she definitely had a high moment, and then things fell apart pretty quickly for her. And now so, she's retired. 
Yeah, I mean, she's married another former athlete too, though. So right, so she's bounced back. She seems to be very happy with her life. But from a tennis playing perspective, things went downhill very quickly for Wozniacki. I mean, even if that's only like a half truth, <laughs> that's still two and a half things that have been linked to the demise of very successful franchises or um, sporting yeah, players. Yeah, now, now so we just have I, to wait. We just have to wait for the Northern Ireland peace process to totally unravel and we can blame that on Rory as well. <laughs> uh, when the troubles so. come back, we'll know exactly who to blame it on. It won't be Sinn Féin or the IRA. It will be Rory McIlroy. <laughs> you heard it here first, right? Oh, dear. Okay. So I think we've identified a McIlroy curse. That's kind of interesting. Just as an update, because I know that our listeners are... They probably are, they know that we were going to do this live, so they decided to, to completely avoid the Europa League scores until they get to hear it from us. But uh, United have gone to extra time against Copenhagen. Ooh, that's, that's bad. Eddie, I was it's actually going to say, getting into the Rory McIlroy curse or whatever you want to call it, he was, before this tournament, the fifth youngest player to win a major in the modern era. He is now six. Can you name the five youngest players to win a major? And I will give the caveat that several of them are on the list more than once. So I'm going to say five players, not like the youngest winnings with multiple players. Okay. Woods. Woods is one at 21 years and three months of the 97 masters. Spieth? Spieth is second and third for the 2015 Masters and the 2015 U.S. Open. So Jack Nicholas. Jack Nicholas is fourth at the 1962 U.S. Open. Now this is going to be the tough. Um, You're missing just the one because now Morikawa would be in there. Yeah, this is, a, this is a tough to think about who it could be. I'll go for Kepko is not Kepka. Is it a modern, someone recent, is this player still active? No. Okay. Oh, then I'm probably he's, not going to get them. Well, I was going to say he's probably one of the greatest European players ever. Seve? Yep. Seve? Okay. Yes. I, yeah, I just was, put, I, I don't know why I just, years. I, I just associate Seve with like late wins for some reason. I don't know why. Um, uh, he actually had two. He had the 1979 Masters. He was 22, and the 19 uh, sorry 79 British Open. He was 22, and 1980 Masters. He was 23. Got it. Not bad. Not bad. That will be the last golf top five for a long time. We we we've <laughs> run out of top five things to talk about in golf. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what what's next for major wise? Like how how does it work now? Have they talked about like the calendar? Is it changing? What have they? Because I know that they're still because the Ryder Cup got delayed as well, right? So I don't know what they've done with the golfing calendar. Like, does anyone know? Well, the calendar's been rearranged. They're playing all of the majors. I I I, I think, yeah. Because oh, uh, but uh, I don't I don't off the top of my head. I I don't know the order. Yeah. So it's it's we just did the PGA Championship. Then the U.S. Open is September seventeenth. That was originally supposed to be in June. Um, and then the Masters is in November. And then the Open is canceled. Just for, just for a bit of live drama, United have been awarded a penalty in the third minute of extra time. 
it's just we it's a real thriller here it's a real thriller the sigh in the middle of that sentence really showed that <laughs> it's kind of depressing so i mean they this? probably they, they probably have warranted it because they did hit the woodwork a couple of times they had a goal disallowed for offside so you, i mean copenhagen have been good but united have been the better team but You'd, you'd have to assume if they can go ahead this early in, 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 in extra time that it's, it's probably over. Oh, okay. So half an hour left, a, right? Yeah, 20, 25 minutes, I suppose, by the time it's taken. But yeah, I don't think it's the boldest decision in the world to say that if United go ahead in, in extra time that it's probably over. Okay, okay. Just remember our previous chat where you were saying 70 minutes and you're still drawing, you would still not favor the draw. So you're okay with 20 minutes, but not 25 with a team that's going out, like kind of all or nothing? Yes, when the team that's better is winning, and they've Bruno Fernandes has scored, so it's 1-0. Oh, look at that. So I'll tell you what, what was pretty neat for me, actually watching the golf, I had like two or three people over because of you know COVID situations, you have to not really have any parties or anything like that. But uh, I had some people come over, go in the pool and things like that. And we ended up setting up two TVs in my living room so we could watch the golf and we could watch game five of the hockey, the Maple Leafs versus the Blue Jackets. So not only did I get to watch my, my PGA Championship pick lose in the back nine, I then got to finish that off by watching the Maple Leafs get knocked out of the playoffs which was very annoying. And they outplayed the Blue Jackets the entire game and just could not put the puck in the net. So it was a very frustrating game to watch, but it's nice to have a lot of sports back on and be able to go back and forth and watch exciting things again. The other aspect of watching the Maple Leafs lose was my prediction of my hockey bet officially went 0 for 4. So pretty impressive. Yeah, I'm thinking it starts the next round of the playoffs, which would be the official first round, starts Wednesday, I believe. So maybe on the next podcast, I can give my picks and you guys can randomly pick and we can see who does better. Well, here's the thing is my picks, even though I don't follow hockey, would probably not be as totally random. But I just want to say that you can go head to head with Sam. And if Sam wins that, we will never talk about hockey again. Oh, this is very. A lot of I will. Pressure. I will. I will further caveat it, and I will say that I will do absolutely no research on NHL. Yeah, so we'll just do I, live. I, you'll just do live picks. I will live do live, picks. and it will be name. I will just pick a name, and I will say they will win. And if you want to, is it just win? Like this shows just, the extent just win. of just, my just go win the series. Just just win the series. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it's best of three or five. Best, Best of seven. seven. Best of seven. Yeah. So Sam, like that. Does that change push. the way you you pick? And, uh, absolutely not. <laughs> just curious about how many games there are. So I am just going to. You're give like the you... Islanders could win five. <laughs> they, could, they could win a best of five, but they couldn't win a best of seven. I'll tell you what, let's do it that way. That if I can pick the correct. So do they do they always play the full seven or say if a team goes four up, do they just stop it? Yeah, they stop playing. They don't make you just get pounded into the ground. <laughs> hey, I know your season's over, but you're going to play another three now. 
and definitely the first don't try to win four. <laughs> yeah, and definitely don't try and injure anyone on the on the other team in this, <laughs> yeah. in this pointless game that you're being forced to play. Try not to do anything spiteful. Okay. All right. Yeah. Let's yeah. Just do that. just imagine Roy Keane in a game seven, six six down in the series. <laughs> okay, let's do it like that then. So your very integrity for ice hockey's on the line now. Yeah, I mean, yeah. if if you There's can, a lot of pressure now. Yeah, if you can't, uh, if you can't beat someone just choosing ba- purely based with zero knowledge, then you can't you can't discuss the yeah. sport in a, in a but, publicly but like recorded I said, forum. But then I'm, again, I'm literally, I'm literally picking right? against every shot I have is fifty fifty. So it's not yeah. it's not entirely you, well, unfeasible you know, your that shot I just is, fluke you, Your shot is fifty fifty, but Frank's shot shouldn't be fifty fifty. I mean, my shot zero to one hundred. With the zero heavy favored. <laughs> like, Eddie, where's your money going on that? Uh, out of, I mean, I would, I would have to take Frank because it's just <laughs> if he can't, if he can't, if he can't beat just, and I'm not, I'm not but essentially a monkey picking wow. hockey games. No, it's like, it's like that octopus. Why could you just say a guy that knows nothing about NHL? Okay, why no, do you have to... <laughs> you're that world, yeah, you're that World Cup octopus that, from the, you're 2010, Sam the octopus. 2010. Sam the squid. Sam the squid. Sam the squid versus Frank. And we'll so see, you're mate. not quite as smart as an octopus, but you're close. You're at squid level. <laughs> yeah. Brutal. All right, I like it. So next podcast, get ready for a nice NHL preview slash NHL completely random prediction. <laughs> exactly. But and it's fitting too, right? Because uh, don't don't they throw um, octopi onto the rink in some places? Yes, the Detroit Red Wings do. Yep. There you go. So is it is the plural octopi? <laughs> I, I believe the plural is octopi. I don't think it's octopussy. Well, why can't it just be octopuses? <laughs> I mean, I should know this, right? Because you can figure it out whether it's from Greek or Latin, but I'm pretty sure it's octopi. But yeah, it was a good first round of the playoffs. So the only thing, Sam, well, actually, I would be at a more advantage, Eddie. So this is why it would be even better because they'll have played the first games in some of the series. So oh, yeah. I'll know the first game. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, Sam I mean, won't even know the outcome. Yeah, exactly. So if you really, if you can't have a uh, that much of an advantage, because just by just by Frank picking the every team that won Game One, he significantly shifts his chances of being right. Well, that's the problem, though, right? So why can't I can't I look at who won? I won't know if they're better no because yeah, you... no, he can't no because okay. if he looks at who wins and then just picks the team that win that won Game One. We wouldn't say that he had no knowledge, right? Because he's he could assume that the team that won game one might have been the better team or, you know, whatever, however you want to say. And and you'll be able to kind of wiggle out of it by being like, oh, well, look, he picked teams that are already winning their series. That's not me losing against someone who knew nothing. But Frank, so I, think, oh, I think what we'll do is I'll just say the two teams, Sam makes Sam the Squid makes his pick, and then after that, I can tell what the re- seedings are of the teams, if they have played a game, what the series is at, and then like whatever else. But yeah, Sam what, what, gets literally what the just are. the two team names. Well, 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 here's the thing: is so we'll do it. We'll do the picks. I obviously I will 
orchestrate this because I don't want you to try and sort of say team names in some weird way that influences Sam somehow. Yeah, this but, terrible team versus this great team. Yeah, exactly. This <laughs> team I would totally pick against this team that I would never pick. The mighty Blackhawks. <laughs> exactly. So no, I'll be doing that. But then afterwards, we'll just basically calculate what the odds are of your respective selections. So that will be the, the fairest way. You know, so you, whatever it is, a fourfold that you guys have put together, your accumulator and, uh, or parlay, and then we'll just work out, oh. you know, who, who has the longest odds of being, being correct. And if Sam beats you, and even if that's, even if that's one series to zero, just to be clear, hockey's off the table for you. All right. I'm confident. Okay. And if you beat Sam, then Sam gets called Sam the Squid for a while. Sam the Squid. Why do I lose out here? <laughs> Sam has to be a squid for Halloween. Exactly, yeah. Sam hasn't dressed up for Halloween in 20 years, but he has to dress up this year as a squid. No, I've dressed up for Halloween. What a were you last of, year? A couple of years ago, I went as Bane from Batman. <laughs> oh, so you had a squid on your face, so it's not far off. <laughs> Were you, were you like a miniature the squid, Just talking through the squid in like this weird accent. <laughs> what do you mean a miniature Bane? I'm not as tall. I can't help that. Unless I get those... Tom, Tom Hardy isn't that tall either. He wore he, platform shoes to play Bane. But he was also like pretty bulky. Yeah, no, he was jacked, but he's not a huge guy. I mean, I didn't realize you were calling him miniature Bane because of his muscle mass. I thought it was more of a criticism of his overall size. Just overall, he's a smaller-sized Bane. He was pre-total pre rage Bane, you know, like before Bane got really motivated. So he was Be, just... Before he, he climbed was, out of the hole. Exactly. Yeah. When he Bane was, was like, just in his everyday job in Gotham. Like. Yeah, exactly, before he was even put in the hole. Yeah, you should not even have worn the. No, the, he was born in the, the hole. Come on, I wouldn't wear. Yeah, that would be a know. great. That, that would be the best Halloween outfit, wouldn't it? Like, who are you, Bane? And I'm just in a suit. And they're like, "But you're not Bane." It's like, well, yeah, but this was when he was working in like just administration in Gotham. <laughs> like, speaking of speaking of Batman, who do you think's the better Batman, George Clooney or Joss Butler? <laughs> <laughs> Without I was actually waiting for like a genuine <laughs> like Batman question there. No, but, no, I'm not a dork. No, no, no. Wow. That's oh, right. Yeah. If you if you like Batman movies and you're listening to this, find a new podcast. I mean the George Clooney Batmans were pretty bad, right? <laughs> They're actually my favorites, just for again, I know we talked about Happy Gilmore and Nostalgia uh last week, which, but which which one? The one with Mr. The Freeze. One with, the one with Mr. Freeze, yeah fantastic that is, is your favorite batman the one with mr freeze i wouldn't I, I don't mean favorite in the sense that i think it's the best but favorite in the sense that i have the fondest I, memories of it yeah it isn't isn't in that batman mr freeze uses the saying ice to meet you <laughs> and it's yeah there well, what are, could be better there there is a painful amount of bad puns in that one it's what was it joel schumacher wasn't it that directed what in what an incredible cast. You know, probably the best Batman cast of all time. The it, I mean, that, that part can't be argued. It probably is the best cast of people, best ensemble of actors. The Batman suit had nipples. Best suit of all time. It did, didn't it? Ro Robin was hyper-camped up. 
Does, does that mean you can milk As Batman? He should be. You could have milked Batman, yeah. Robin probably did milk Batman. There was I mean, there's some tension between those two, right? Well, yeah, the the concept of Robin, right? He has to be a little bit camped up because he's this he's this like little guy who's decided that he just wants to idolize and follow another superhero and get dressed up in suits together and go and fight crime. If you don't camp him up, it's a little bit little bit strange. But he's really good on the trampes. Yeah. Yeah, he's got that going for him. Was that it the is, Mr. Freeze was the one with what was it? Who did it's Poison Mr. Ivy was Uma Thurman, wasn't Thurman. it? Uma Thurman, yeah. And the Riddler is Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey. That, that is one of the standout, wackiest performances, and it was just so good. I, I, I completely agree with you. With Jim Carrey's Riddler is one of the best Batman cinematic kind of franchise enemies. They're bringing the Riddler back, I think. I think the next most, Batman's most have the overrated uh, Batman franchise nemesis who who would you go for overrated do you mean in yeah, terms I mean, of like their skill in the universe or like the act either one you can choose either the how is this person possibly competing with batman or the fact that this person gets well, so for example for me it's heath ledger's joker why I mean, I are people you just treated, doing people, it for the sake of controversy? No, I'm not. It's a fantastic I'm not, I'm not just, performance. It's fine. He's just, but he's playing the Joker in a in a in a Batman movie. People treat it like it was like the greatest acting performance of all time. Oh, it's I definitely one of the few times it's been closely resembling the comic. Is what I think. What people say, he genuinely is a terrifying Joker, and that's what's so is good he? about it. Yeah, I'd say so. He's very. He's very maniacal, and it's, I think it's really well done. But um, going back to your question about the overrated, honestly, I don't really understand Two-Face. He just flips a coin and then shoots the guy if it lands on. <laughs> I mean, fundamentally, what is he doing apart from having a good amount of political stature and able to get some hired goons, which Gotham has got an ample amount, but then fundamentally he just tosses a coin and shoots you. You have, to say, oh, you have to say overall, the villains in Batman, they're not exactly like a they're who's who of, of, of like vicious people. I mean, they're all let, a let's bit go bizarre. through some of them. One of them is the penguin, who's just a little guy that resembles a penguin. <laughs> you have Killian Murphy plays a character Scare where he puts, on a, he puts on a potato sack on his head and sprays people with drugs. <laughs> That's the problem with Scarecrow, though. He actually has the capacity to probably do the most damage because he just deals with toxins. Like, if he wanted to just level Gotham in toxins, he could. And that was one but of the first... Um... But instead, he just puts a potato sack on his head. Okay, le- less about his appearance, more about his execution. <laughs> <laughs> so you're going Heath Ledger's Joker. No, when I say that, obviously, Heath Ledger's Joker, in many ways, is the most terrifying in terms of real world implications for what they were doing. Like how difficult would it be to stop the equivalent of the Joker? I just mean from the standpoint that everyone raves about it as, as literally having been the greatest performance of all time. And it's, to me, it's perfectly decent. It's just not, I wouldn't put it in my top 50 acting performances. What did you think of the new Joker movie? Uh, I didn't watch it. You didn't watch it. The new Joker movie? No, I'm. You know, oh. I didn't want to. I didn't want to support a movie that uh, I, that sort of 
glorified mental illness. Well, that ended that conversation. <laughs> hey, I, I, I never take the easy way out. I'll, I'm, you know, I'm always going to, yeah, we'll just, we'll just say that there. <laughs> I'm not going to dig, dig it deeper all, all right. for myself. All right. I'm going to go to a different one. Frank, another sporting, uh, did you watch cricket? Oh, not only did I watch the cricket, I took a wise man's advice on who to back in the cricket. The one rolling his eyes on the screen right now. <laughs> comment? It's not me, by the way, viewers. <laughs> so, I mean, my comment, was, my comment is the same, which is that I thought the more value when the odds, when they started on Saturday morning and, you know, uh, Pakistan were just under evens and England were just over evens. To me, the clear value was Pakistan. I think it's always one of those bizarre things about a test match, but you'll look at a total being chased of, you know, 250 to 300. And on paper, it just looks easy because you think most of the time a test match side goes out and, get, and scores at least 250 runs. But the reality is they're not chased down very often. I, that was one of England's highest all-time run chases in test match cricket. And so you just... You know, and when England were 115 for six or whatever it was, or for five, five, yeah. At that point, Pakistan were overwhelming favorites, and uh, the fact that they—I mean, I think they just obviously Butler and Wilkes played very well. I also think that Pakistan just kind of lost the plot a little bit. They bowled. The reason they were in this game was because of how well they bowled for like the first four days. They were just absolutely tearing this pitch up. And the thing was, like the, the, the reason I well, agree with Eddie's point of value at that was that Pakistan were bowling well and the pitch was doing everything that suggested that they would continue to be able to bowl that well. Um, for me, I took, I took England at six to four when they just lost the second wicket. What was that, like 90? six for two or something like that i think adding yeah i mean at that point six to four because before the fall of the second wicket i would have made them favorites and i think they went as they were betting favorites at that point then the second wicket kind of balanced things out but at that point yeah they they'd they'd knocked off a third of the score so it was realistic at that point to think that they could chase it down yeah yeah it was a very un-england way of winning a classic england debacle of a test match that they got themselves into in the first place. Like usually the Eddie and I have had loads of chats about this. It's almost a lock until this test match to bet against England in the first test because they're terrible. They, they, they did it against the West Indies and they've done it against countless other teams. They just seem to be absolutely atrocious in the first test, then get their act together and do better in the next test. But this one seems, they seem to have been doing, they seem to be doing everything they could to lose. And then all of a sudden, whether it's through Pakistan's poor execution or finishing off of a game or England's, well, let's be honest, Butler and Wokes um, stand. Um, it was kind of a nice surprise. Let's just put it like that. Yeah. F- Flash scores had a pretty good stat. I thought you would enjoy this. It was the 11th time in test history that England have made a century partnership for the sixth wicket or lower in the fourth innings of a match. That's... So wait, 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 no, but here's, here's the good part about that stat. The last time it happened was in 2010. Do you want to guess who one of those players was? Um, I think the last time it happened, it, 
off the top of my head, I feel like it would have been when, uh, wait, 2010? Oh, I guess that wasn't the fourth innings of a test match. So no, I retract my guess. It was Ian Bell and the man himself, Paul. Oh, Paul oh, 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 dear. <laughs> I mean, that, well, there that's... you have the point. The, the whole the, the fact that Paul Collingwood was coming in that late in the order shows shows what a player he was. Yep, against South <laughs> Africa. Oh, Collingwood, a hero. And and interestingly. Paul Collingwood is also on Eddie's shit list, just like Josh Butler is also on Eddie's shit list. Joss. Joss. <laughs> Joss. Uh, I have nothing against anyone out there called Josh Butler. <laughs> Sorry, Josh. Just some guy in Preston fuming at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> Who the Eddie thing said with... should not even be well, on test matches because he's the... completely useless. So No, I, no I mean, you, you got to contextualize my completely, completely useless statement. I don't think he's the best wicketkeeper from purely wicketkeeping a wicketkeeping standpoint. He proved that in this test match because he made several mistakes behind the stumps. I mean, fundamentally, if you take his mis- if you kind of balanced his mistakes out with the runs that he scored, I'd still say he had a net negative for the test match. But then, you know, he doesn't have the mentality necessary usually for a test match cricket. And I think he was probably helped in a way by the fact that in the situation in which he came in, it was sort of, we're probably going to lose this. So a little bit of pressure's off, play your shots a little bit. There wasn't the requirement to really settle in and grind out a day's batting. And that's where he just doesn't have it in him. So in a, in a first inning situation, for example, if he comes in and, and England are you know, 33 for four or something, he just doesn't have the mentality necessary to think I've got to sit out a tough period, maybe get a couple of these bowlers, you know, sort of sit them out until they're, you know, someone else is coming in. He just can't do it. He just has to play that one, that one speed all the time. And when it works, it's amazing. I'm not going to deny, for example, his white ball cricket skills are incredible, but for test match cricket, I think there are better options out there. I feel like he's done it before though. Butler in test cricket. I'm pretty sure there was another one where he had a stand. I, I always want to say Ben Stokes because he, the problem with him and Ben Stokes are they've had so many stands across multiple formats, but I'm, I'm certain they've done it in like test once against like India. Where they sure, had like and he'll, look, he'll, he'll do and, it again. There, I'm not saying he's, he's terrible. My point is more just... No, you're just saying he's completely useless in test matches. Yeah, and but you can be useless if you play enough test matches. You're going to have the odd good innings, you know, because like a- averaging 25 is awful for the. I, I'm not saying he averages 25, although he probably doesn't average far off 25. But averaging, you know, 25 in the the place in the order that he bats for England is not good. But if you to average 25, it still probably means you're going to hit a. I mean, I think he has one test match century, if I'm right, off the top of my head. He's been moved yeah. around the order so much, though. I, I think that's one of his problems is they because they've never known what to do with him. They don't know whether well, to bring to him be... in at the top, fourth, sixth. They they don't know what to do with him, and I think that has been detrimental to him as well. Because well, let me let me just let no me just set. say to the let me just say to the England selectors, I know what to do with him, and that requires one more move in the order, and that's out of it. <laughs> <laughs> he, he can bat twelfth. Man, yeah, I'm sure he's great at bringing the drinks out. 
Seems like a nice guy. Probably make a couple of jokes as they all sip on their water bottles. He'd probably be great. Let him do that. Josh Butler. Josh Butler has one century in a test. Yeah, I think he's got like seven, I guess maybe 18 half centuries after this weekend. Sorry, that off the top of my head feels like. 17. Oh, close enough. Good for someone that bats sixth. He has, he has nine ODI centuries. How, how, many, how many innings has he played in test match cricket? Or has uh, he batted? I suppose. 80. Okay. So one in four is half century. That's pretty good. Is it? For batting sixth, yes. Because think about what was support and, and things like that. He's going to have to attack usually because when you come in sixth, you're not often supported by anyone higher than third, I'd say. You're usually going to have someone either tail end below you or someone in the middle order. So usually it's a very frail position to come in sixth because you're either going to have to be aggressive because your tail can't do anything or you're going to try and be conservative because the tail can't do anything. That's what I usually find with that position. I will say his strike rate is pretty bad in tests versus his other. Yeah, I mean, that's to be expected. I'm not going to judge him by his strike rate, but his average. But it's substantially lower. What is his average? Can you see it? His average in a test is 32. 32. Compared to like, I think Root has plummeted recently as well. I think he's gone down to like. 40. Whoa! Let's watch on the Root bashing here. Well, no, no bashing, but I'm just saying that I, I think the captaincy changes people in Test cricket. Um, it can really affect um, averages. I think it happened to Cook as well. When you take on, uh, it happened to Strauss for sure. When you take on the England captaincy, generally speaking, your personal game suffers. I find. Yeah, we'll see. I don't know. I just think they could do better. I mean, the issue is that, for example, Bairstow has obviously been given a chance in test matches and in a way suffers from the same syndrome. So um, it's not the easiest problem to solve. But it, it's also a problem that gets highlighted when they take the approach that they had, they had in this latest test match, which is they chose to play an extra bowler. And so if you're going to... Which basically meant Josh Butler has to be seen as a primarily chosen obviously for his batting abilities and even someone like Wokes is being chosen and seen as a real all-rounder which is an obviously Wokes also played extremely well in that in that fourth innings but it's probably overstating Wokes's ability with the bat which then when you have him coming in after Butler who probably isn't quite good enough or doesn't have the right state of mind to play test match cricket that puts the England middle order or sort of start of their bottom, you know, the sort of tail enders, it puts them under a lot of pressure. So I guess one of the other things we can kind of get into is we've been having these weekly COVID cancellation updates. Um, and I guess the newest one now is NCAA football. Um, and I, w- I really don't need to touch on it too much just because it's, basically the same thing now happening for every sport. Um, But at least in the NCAA football, which I mean, I think is a really, really unique situation because one you have, it's not a professional sport where you can kind of isolate these people. I mean, you have hundreds of teams and tons of student athletes who are living in dorms and apartments all over the place with other students and I mean, you don't have the financial aspect that you do in professional sports. So 
I don't know if the NCAA is going to be able to contain like basketball and hockey can. And so far it seems like, so none of the power five conferences have canceled their fall sports yet, or sorry, have canceled football in particular yet, but the Mac has already and players in the PAC 12 and the big 10 have already kind of put out things saying that they need assurances, you know, that it's going to be safe and things like that. So, I mean, do you guys, are we going to have an NCAA football season? What do you think? I would, I think it's too early to say with any confidence, but if I had to really, if I have to choose yes or no, I'd probably choose no. I think it's, it's for starters. I mean, what makes college sports unique is just the sheer number of teams you're talking about is huge. And then to further complicate that it's one thing when you're talking about, you know, elite college football programs where those players, a lot of those players will be thinking about their professional careers. But in other instances, you'll be talking about smaller college programs where most of those people don't have a future in football. So then at a certain time, you've also just got to be thinking, start to plan for the rest of your life. So if you're coming back as a senior and you think, am I going to play in this sort of semi-disorganized final season? Or do I want to start just really focusing on what am I going to do now? Yeah, I mean, to me, that's the main thing that I am not understanding what these players are doing. I get that you want to be the college player who is all for his college. You know, I want to play for Clemson. I want to do this. But I don't understand in any right mind why Trevor Lawrence wants to play this season as the quarterback for Clemson. He's already projected to be a top three draft pick. All this potentially could do is he could go play and he could get hurt just because he's playing an extra season. He could get hurt because they're not being able to practice as much because of all the rules and regulations. I mean, he could take this year off as a top three draft pick already, go train the entire year. I mean, he knows he's going to get a ton of money so he can take out a loan if he doesn't have any money, pay, you know, like honestly, you know, get something to go pay for him to, to sit in Phoenix, just Arizona in case Trevor, and train Just in case day. Trevor Lawrence is listening, please don't take Frank as your financial advisor. <laughs> I, I mean, come on. You could do whatever you needed to. Just sit out in Phoenix, Arizona or, you know, LA where all the training facilities are. Train all year and you're still going to be the top three draft pick. I mean, why? Well, you're assuming, you're assuming that game time isn't important for a player's development. And I think you'd argue, particularly for a quarterback, that that... Pressure moments, right? Not even pressure moments. It's just... But he's got enough situ- on his resume. There's, no, no, it's not... It's, no, no, here, there's two different factors here. Will he be a top three pick no matter what? 100%. And, I mean, like, even the situation with Tua kind of shows you that because Tua had a really severe injury, sat out a year and still was a number one, a first round draft pick. So, you know, and Trevor Lawrence, his stock is even higher than Tua was, Tua's was at Tua's sort of prime in, in college football. So, so you got to separate the, what will, what will change in the draft for you from what will change in terms of how good of a player you are. And so you're, you are asking a player at a key stage in their, in their development to go a whole year without playing in a competitive football match. Yeah, okay, he can have training sessions and he can just get a lot of coaching and he can probably work on a number of things. 
but he won't actually have a situation where it's a game that matters and it's third and long. What are you going to do? Or it's a game that matters and you've started off slowly and thrown a couple picks. How do you, how do you bounce back? He's probably good enough that it doesn't really matter. But if I were a player in that situation, it would concern me that I was missing out on a really vital year of development. Yeah. I don't, I mean, yeah, I, I understand what you're saying, but I, I think if you're, if you're a first round draft pick, I don't know why you'd want to risk because, all right. I mean, maybe first round is a little extreme, but if you're a top fifth, say you're a top three running back, they have enough on video to know what you can do on the field. A lot of that just ends up being what you run in the combine if you're going to be the number two or number three taken. So why risk getting hurt when instead you can train for the combine for a whole year, they have you on film. You know, I don't, I don't no, no, understand we're, we're, why a lot of these players are. We're in agreement here, right? But we're, we're no, I understand of... what the development, but like for a running back, like, are you really going to develop more in that one year in college versus. I don't know. I've never been a college running back, but I'm going to guess that <laughs> I'm going to guess like in any sport, a year of not playing your sport competitively is going to have an impact on how good you can be. People so, come back from torn ACLs all the time with a year of they not do, playing. But and... when you have a 21, 22, 23-year-old who has a torn ACL and misses a year, it's not just a question of will they physically get back to the same level. It's also a question of have they really missed out. And you see players who get injured and that it just kind of stalls their development as a player, not just because of a, a physical loss, but just from the fact that you go, oh, okay, that was – that was that moment when you were supposed to be learning that or picking up on that or having when your gut instinct can kick in as to what you're supposed to do and you've lost a year of that. Will it affect the NFL in any way if the college side of things decides to stop? Because I guess I guess it's kind of twofold really is what Eddie was saying about do are you gonna see like a slight quality dip next year because of this? You're gonna have players that don't play when they're going to be drafted anyway right and then you're going to have the players that are like opting out this season in the nfl itself that are going to come back like are you going to see a worse nfl next season because of like the potential lack of college football and all the dropouts we're seeing at the moment it's hard to tell i think for the average football fan the differences are going to be indistinguishable there might be if you're a coach or something and you just think that your team is not quite as well-oiled as it otherwise would have been. I know already, right, that's a criticism because in the kind of OTAs and preseason stuff that they do over the last few years, they've cut back on how much they can do. And you get someone like Bill Belichick basically talking about the fact that he's still using week one or week two of the regular season as fundamentally as preseason. So that might, and now you've stripped away the preseason totally from them, basically. So you might, it might kind of feel in week six as if you're in this weird preseason, regular season limbo for some teams. In terms of the long-term impact now, I mean, the one thing that it would do for the, for the NFL, they don't play games on Saturdays normally because of the fact that college football plays on Saturdays, and that's the agreement that they have with them. This would open up the possibility for the NFL to play Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, if they wanted to, which from a sort of scheduling standpoint is probably nice for them because it gives them just more flexibility. And also in terms of then selling the TV rights, I don't know if they can yeah. renegotiate some deals if they were televising more games in separate time slots, but you might, able, might be able to compensate for some of the lack of revenue from fans not being there. 
by having every game televised in an individual slot. Ooh, that would be really nice. Yeah. I love that prospect, Eddie. Eddie, can you run that up the table? I'll, oh, yeah, I'll call Goodell <laughs> afterwards and suggest it. I'm sure I'm the first person to have had that idea. Oh, man, just four straight days of football would be... Well, there was oh, a ton of records. Um, there was a ton of records for the Premier League as well and the FA Cup and things like that because, because they were allowed to spread it out over so much time uh, during this past month that some of the television records have just been smashed with people watching like FA Cup semifinals were pretty mega. Some of the uh, free-to-air stuff that like Amazon did and things like that. It, it's, I, I think it was probably one of the things that saved the Premier League TV deal because I know they're on course to lose, what was it, someone to some stupid like quarter of a billion or something if they didn't play as much as they did or the whole season. So, yeah, I, I mean, I guess the argument, too, for why television viewing figures go up is also because people have, have fewer things to do. So, you know, during confinement, during, during the pandemic, people were just going out less. So if you stick a, a, you know, and also have gone through a period where there was nothing to do, so had probably gone through everything they ever wanted to watch on Netflix, everything they wanted to watch on Hulu, everything they wanted to watch on Amazon, and then they then sort of some sport comes back and they go, do you know what? I am going to watch Crystal Palace Watford, even though I normally never would because I literally have nothing else to do with my life. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and so you've already I've, said next season that everything goes back to normal, like absolutely everything. I think they've even said that the Saturday block, they're not even, because UEFA basically said to him, like if the, if the UK, well, English football wants to get rid of it, Saturday 3 p.m. ban, they're fine. But uh, I don't think the Premier League's taken them up on it. So it sounds like that's coming back as well. United have uh, qualified, by the way, just to finish 1-0. So United are through to the next round. Inter qualified earlier today. So that's the two two remaining sort of European giants, I guess, left. Obviously, that's not trying to be disrespectful to Sevilla, who play Wolves tomorrow. But the two favorites have both progressed. Did you have Man U to qualify or Man U to win? Neither. Oh, so you didn't have any wow. money on menu. So you had yeah. Copenhagen? Yeah, I'm a huge, you know, I really enjoyed my couple of trips to Denmark and just from, I'm just, you know, infatuated with, with, with Danish football now. So what's next on the football calendar? We've got the um, Champions League coming back up and the other Europa League tomorrow, if I remember right. Yeah, you have the two yeah. remaining quarterfinals tomorrow, and then you've got the Champions League quarterfinals. And, you know, obviously they finished off the last 16 at the weekend. They kind of all went to form with the exception of Juventus, who did not qualify, despite the fact that Sam was so confident that he said there was more value in Juventus to qualify than them hey. just not to win. Hey, stand by it, just didn't work out. Well, I mean, actually, to me, that's the surprising thing is that, you know, it wasn't just that Juventus missed chances. I think Lyon were good value for qualifying. You know, over the two legs, arguably, they were the better side. So it wasn't just an instance where maybe, you know, a team didn't take their chances or their dominance didn't, you know, translate into goals. Lyon were, were, were good value. Yeah. What was it? Lyon only played like two games before and they did well against PSG took them all the way and then they had the um, I remember the other game they played they played two games didn't they and they looked really good in both of them so 
Yeah, and then you got Man City through. Looked pretty good. I think the manner that they beat Real Madrid over two legs was really good, actually. Um, I think they looked really strong. Uh, Bayern did the business like they were always going to against an English club, right? And um, Well, I don't think... I don't want to throw that in as against an English club. I think against the fourth best team in the Premier League who <laughs> also who also were missing several key players. No, you know, but I'm just... Saying that it was a dead rubber, right? So as we as we said on the previous podcast, you know that well, that Lampard didn't think so. Lampard said he wouldn't have been there if he didn't think Chelsea could qualify, and that worked out well. So, so what would he have done? Just <laughs> not taking the team? Yeah, just not turned up. Just put like eleven tickets. Just got on eleven holidays. scarecrows on the pitch. <laughs> well, you could argue that that's what he did. <laughs> eleven Batman scarecrows, or. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Eleven penguins. <laughs> oh, but, God, uh, yeah. uh, some yeah, sort of next... weird like hostage situation. You've just got these people like with the sacks on their head. Oh dear. But no, oh, it's a, it's a nice lineup of football. You know, the Champions League now: Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday night. One match. Obviously, not you know single-legged uh, ties. So. You've got, yep. you know, you're definitely going to have some close matches, probably extra time, maybe penalties. It's uh oh, it's only it's only one match. Yeah, yes, anyone like yeah, neutral it's... venue, one match. Oh, I like that. Yeah. So in a way, Just... you could, I think, definitely as you know, a neutral watching all of these because obviously Blackburn aren't in the Champions League. Um, oh, they didn't make it this year. Not this year. Okay. Uh, they're just biding their time. Uh-huh. Or next. Or next, or the one after that. <laughs> but they're just biding their time. But the, you know, in a way, sometimes the two-legged ties are a bit dull because either, you know, it takes, if you, if you do feel like there's a team that's likely to qualify, take City Lyon, for example. Over two legs, I'd be really confident that City will qualify because you would just think over 180 minutes of football, they'll be too good and they'll score goals. But in a 90-minute match, if Lyon score first or if City just sort of struggle a bit, who knows what happens. So I think if you are, as a neutral, going to watch a match, the, the, the single sort of single elimination, one fixture, is, is a much more interesting way to watch them. Yeah, but for sure. But then as a, as a football fan, you have to appreciate the two-leg better because then the better team is advancing. I mean, it's like with hockey. Mm-hmm. Anyone can win a hockey game, but they play a best of seven and – most hockey enthusiasts love a best of seven because at the end of the day, the better team will prevail in seven games versus one. Yeah, no, you're right. There's much more, it's much more likely that a team either, you know, sort of overperforms for 90 minutes and goes through or just gets lucky. Either one of those things could happen, but I still think it's just more exciting. And obviously all the teams, all the teams at this stage are very good. So it's not as if you've got, some, you know, Linfield haven't snuck their way into the Champions League quarterfinals and thinking, well, if we just back to the wall for 90 minutes, maybe we'll knock out Barcelona. You yeah. just looked at Linfield playing tomorrow, didn't you? No, I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> but they are playing in the Champions it's, League qualifying no, stage, aren't they? It's such a weird, surreal thing, isn't it? Because you've got the current Champions League not finished, but you've got next season's Champions League already going through its qualification. So yeah, it, it confused me on Friday when I was waiting for the Champions League. And I, you know, in my head, I was confident, oh, they both kick off at nine o'clock here. And then I remember looking on flash scores and seeing the Champions League section with the little red dot of there was a match in running. And I thought, 
oh, have I mixed this up? And they're playing like the City Real Madrid game first and then playing the, you know, the second match afterwards, the Juventus Leon match. And I looked at it, it was like, oh no, it's a it's Champions League qualifiers for next season. And it was Linfield or something like that playing. It's, yeah, it's good. So tomorrow we got a little preview. So you've got Donetsk v. Basel and uh, Wolves Sevilla, which is definitely the, the better of the two ties. What's your um, well, limit? That's, that's a regional bias over there, Sam. It is no, a no, no. Regional I, bias. I think Wolves, no, I just think Wolves Sevilla's, they're two better teams than Donetsk and uh, Basel. Well, I expect, Se- I expect watch, Se- yeah, I expect Sevilla to go through. I honestly couldn't give you an educated opinion on Donetsk or or, or Basel. <laughs> Basel. <laughs> I would get, I would, I would edge towards Donetsk, but I would be very little confidence in Shakhtar Donetsk on that one. But if I had to make a, a selection, I would, I would go for that. I was going to say because it's in the neutral venue, but Donetsk haven't played in Donetsk for years, have they? Because of the no, Civil but I War. guess <laughs> I guess even when they're not playing in Donetsk and they're playing somewhere in Russia, they are or not I Russia. Think sorry, playing sorry. Russia. I mean, <laughs> the, the, that's a just, that's sorry. a Freudian sorry to all our Ukrainian viewers. <laughs> we, we do not legitimize the free. No, as far as I'm Donetsk concerned, as far as I'm concerned, Donetsk is part of Russia. <laughs> well, we just lost our Ukrainian fan. Yeah, but Putin just sponsored this podcast, so yeah. the money Putin is flowing in. When you've got Putin, I yeah. just logged into our PayPal and it has ballooned. We yeah, we need to be... talk to someone quickly. Yeah. <laughs> we're gonna be a borscht stool. <laughs> okay, well, like here. I'm here I'm, all week. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Wolves. I think. I think, like you say, the 90 minutes. I think Sevilla is slightly better, but I, I think I'm going to go Wolves over 90 minutes. Oh, Sevilla. Yeah, Sevilla. Proven quality in European Cup ties. Probably the you know the better team, and on top of that, the experience in, in European Cup ties. You, it's expecting a lot of Wolves to, to to get it done, but it wouldn't be a, it wouldn't stun me if Wolves qualified. But I would feel, you know, I think. I think Sevilla are, are firm favourites. And then we work on to um, Atlanta PSG and um, Leipzig Atletico Madrid. What were you, what were you thinking? Uh, I think, I, think uh, I mean, we discussed it before. I think that PSG are sort of favourites. I don't, I still not, I don't think the Mbappe situation, I think he's supposed to be, he will be playing, but I don't know if it's clear just how fit he is. But assuming Mbappe is playing some role, I think they are, you know, definitely the better side. But Atalanta have played really well this this season, so it's one of those ones where, um, in terms of their performance in Syria and how well they've actually at times done well done against the other big teams in Syria, you could make the argument that they are the better side in many ways. But because they don't have the same name recognition that another Italian side would have, or that PSG have in this instance, it seems strange to pick Atalanta to knock PSG out. But the reasoning for that might have nothing to do with the actual players or the form going into yeah. the tie. Yeah, I, I think th- the 90 I minutes think... helps them as well. Over two legs, you would more favor PSG in a scenario. I think this this format really 
favours Atalanta if they are going to qualify. So I think it gives them a better opportunity. For sure. For me, I think this one just falls on what PSG team shows up. Like, Atalanta is a good is a good squad, and they have played well this year, but is it going to be the PSG that couldn't score against Lyon in 120 minutes? Or is it going to be the team that puts five up in the first half? You know, like, I, I think it's going to be either those ones where PSG wins 3-1, and it's like, oh, that's that's – how good we know PSG is, or they come out and play like absolute shit because they just don't care. And it's, you know, they lose zero one or something like that. I think it's more on them is like, what team are we going to see? And I don't know, like it's scary to pick right now. Cause I don't know what team is going to play, especially if Mbappe doesn't play, then that really makes me nervous. Did you see the um, Leipzig Madrid? Did you see what is it? Correa and uh, Verasco? Is it Verasco? I can't remember. I, I, I never remember how to pronounce his name, but it's uh, Sime, uh, the guy that's spelled like V-R-K-S-H-E-I-O or something like that. Sime. They both tested positive for um, COVID, so they're not traveling, which definitely weakens Atletico. Um, but um, you, can you really see Leipzig winning without Werner? That would be my fundamental issue with Leipzig, to be honest. It's a big blow. It's definitely a big blow. But I don't have. I don't think Atletico Madrid are so good that it's impossible. But it's uh, definitely a blow for them. Mm. But you would have to say, and this is not with any meant with to be disrespectful to any of the sides involved. But if the one of the Champions League semifinals ends up being Atalanta against Leipzig, <laughs> I don't think it's going to draw the, the. As we were talking about matches breaking TV viewing figures, I don't think that one is going to break many many records. <laughs> yeah. And then he got the big one next after that. Actually, what? Yeah. Ba- Bayern Barcelona. Barcelona. Yeah, that's an interesting one. Because in that one, you've basically got the consistency of Bayern. Um, they're kind of lethal, lethal efficiency. They don't have any glaring weaknesses anywhere on the pitch against a Barcelona team that looks frail, but that has messy. <laughs> <Looks> frail. <laughs> They, I mean, they do. I see just like a bunch of like, <laughs> like really skinny, emaciated players <laughs> like trying to kick the ball, and their legs are breaking off as they're kicking the ball because they're so weak. <laughs> the team's aging, right? <laughs> yeah, rapidly. Yeah, they're rapidly. aging at f- fifty years to the day. Yeah, they had to bring Pele back. You know, when I say back, not as if he played for Barcelona before, but he's he's been called out of retirement to to fill in in their squad. But the, yeah, it's just a difficult one. I mean, even against Napoli, you know, and Barcelona played well and Messi was very good, but Napoli looked dangerous and it looked for a long time in the match that Napoli were going to kind of get back into the tie. If I were Bayern Munich, I'd look at that and think, obviously we have to be worried about Messi and, you know, some of the other attacking players that they have. But I think Bayern Munich will definitely feel confident that they can score a couple of goals. I like the over in this one. Give me over three and a half. No. I mean, what do you mean by give you? <laughs> you give it to me. And if it wins, you give me the money. If it loses, we hand. Oh, is it, or, or is this, are you going to go against Sam the squid on your champions league predictions as well? Yeah. <laughs> and if I win, does that mean we don't ever talk about football again? Well, if we keep that up, we just, we're not going <laughs> yeah. to talk about anything. <laughs> It was going to become a Batman podcast. 
<laughs> I'm fine with that. Just just cricket and Batman the movie. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. But none of the bowling. We never talk about bowling and cricket. It's only the batting. Yeah, we'll call it Alfred. And all <laughs> we'll talk about is either Joss Butler or Batman. It's going gonna, it's gonna to run dry quickly. <laughs> I mean, you can appreciate that. That was at least quick enough to, to come up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, it will be an interesting one in the semifinal, obviously, too. Um, saying that maybe on one side the draw might not be quite as interesting, but the prospect of City against Bayern Munich. Yeah, and obviously the, the, added, the added interest of that's Guardiola playing against Bayern, which just adds a little bit of extra spice there. Uh, that's, that's an interesting one. A couple of weeks ago, we both took City to win that game, didn't we? Yeah, I think I, I would make. I think City will be slight favorites, um, but it will definitely be a very good match. C- City are currently favorites to win the Champions League. I'll go Burger and Pint against that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> right. Against both of you, I gotta do. Yeah, you have to buy Sam the Squid calamari. <laughs> so calamari yeah. and a pint and a burger I'm, and a pint. I'm going against City. If if it if they match up, okay. Wait 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 wait. So I, as a squid, I would eat squid. Yeah. You, <laughs> yeah. Don't you eat human now? <laughs> Only in some ways. <laughs> we won't get into Sam's personal life too much. Yeah, we'll just take. I'm taking Bayern Munich. <laughs> uh, wait, over city. No, no, no. Just I, I oh. think Bayern Munich. I, I actually feel yeah. really comfortable with them against Barcelona. Yeah, no, I'd be surprised. I think, I think uh, it's one of those that you just feel a bit scared at times because know, of Messi. Because of Messi and just Barcelona and their history. Not to say that Bayern Munich don't have an equally prestigious history, but there is just that fear factor there that you feel like Messi is still probably the best player on the pitch, and if you if you sort of told me next week that one player had this incredible performance and dragged his team to the semifinal of the Champions League and I had to guess who it was, my first guess would be Messi. So that's the scary aspect of it. But still, when you, when you really go 11 v 11 and you think how many Barcelona players would, you know, on current form or not, you know, last six months, 12 months of football would make the Bayern Munich side, it's not a lot. Yeah, and then the last one, we kind of already touched. I think we're all taking City in that one, right? Yeah, yeah, you'd be... If City slip up there, then... And, and that's the not... Lyon Leon are a very capable side, but uh, if City slip up in that one, there'll be no excuses for them. If you get to a Champions League quarterfinal and you have to play a team that I think even the most passionate Lyon supporter probably wouldn't say they're one of the best 10 sides in Europe... So if you're in a Champions League quarterfinal and you're not playing one of the top 10, you have to be happy with the situation that you have. And I mean, City are like one to four to win that game. So it's, it's pretty obvious what bookmakers... So do, we go, do you go minus one? Well, minus. United were one to four to beat Copenhagen tonight and look how that turned out. So. I, I wouldn't take... I, I, think, I think Leon are a good enough side to not be... I'd probably rather take Leon plus one than I would Man City minus one. 
Ooh. I'm, I'm I'll go, go I'll go I'll go calamari and a peroni against that. <laughs> Stop Wait, why why is he Stop. suddenly an Italian squid now? <laughs> well, you know. It just seems fitting if I'm having a bit of calamari in the summer, I want a nice refreshing peroni. And that gives me the chance to say that this podcast was brought to you by Peroni. Uh, by squids. Yeah. <laughs> And squids, I think I'm going to yeah. do the, my classic city bet of city up at half. I would, well, more, value. I, would more, I would be more inclined to take Bayern minus one as well against Barca. I'd feel more confident than City minus one. I mean, you also have to factor in the dynamic, right? It's a single knockout match. So yes. the handicap becomes more interesting because obviously a team down one by a goal with 10 minutes to play has to throw everything forward. So if you are... Any of these teams, if you are thinking about, you know, Barcelona minus one goal becomes, you know, vastly more interesting in this context than it would in a two-legged tie because you know that Bayern Munich or Atalanta or PSG, if they're losing, they just have to throw everything forward. They have nothing to lose. So the minus 1.5 becomes a more interesting bet in any scenario. But I would also conversely make the plus 1.5 uh, a less interesting prospect. I just think one to four is, it's a neutral venue as well. So City lose that advantage, I guess, in that respect. But Well, it's I hard just, to argue, to be honest with you, it's hard to argue that City have home field advantage normally. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, just, I just feel like Leon have played three really good games on their return. And I could see them losing, but still playing really well. I want to know what this third match is. <laughs> they played like, I feel like they played like Saint-Étienne or something. I just want to say. I swear uh, they were the powerhouse of, of France. They played, so, they played a couple of friendlies. I think they beat Rangers in a friendly, I think, off oh, the top well. of my head. No, Rangers. <laughs> yeah, Rangers. <laughs> that famous Russian team. <laughs> I think they they do they they uh, they have a ground share with uh, Shakhtar Donetsk. So it was. I think there's before, a Danish before team before PSG. They beat there is, yeah. Antwerp three two. Ah. Oh, the mighty so Antwerp. The mighty Antwerp. Yeah. Did they play Rangers? They played Celtic. Oh, okay, close enough. Uh, and beat yeah. that and demolished them two to one. Wow, two to one. Well, if you then look at the form of Celtic uh, tr- slipping up at the weekend, yeah, Drew would kill a monarch, oh, didn't they? Oh God! You know Why? that makes that 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 doesn't exactly frank the form of uh, Leon's uh, recent matches. Did they? Thanks did they? Using, thanks for using was, my name in there. Was the Kilmarnock Celtic game at lunch? Because that's one of my betting curses. No, it was, it was the late after Sunday afternoon match. So Rangers had already played and Rangers had already won and then Celtic played and drew one all. That might be one of the most obvious love, things that I keep doing, but for some reason keep losing but never stop is you just see this like one to six team at 12 o'clock and you're like, well, why not? And then they go and draw one all and it's just, the Celtic lunchtime game is one of the most infuriating things in my gambling. And I just don't. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's the two things, right? So it's the idea a, that you kind of get one out of the way early on, which is always nice. And then B, it gives you a reason to watch this football match that you probably otherwise wouldn't watch. So if it's sort of Celtic against Hibs and you think I probably wouldn't watch this normally, but I'll watch it now. 
it matters more when there's money on it, right? Exactly. So it's always good. That's always one of my favorite betting slogans that was created. Even though they're now obviously doing all of the uh, when the fun stops, stop stuff. And uh, I mean, almost every gambling ad tells you to take a break, set your deposit limits. Bet responsibly. Yeah, yeah please bet responsibly. Whereas I like before, the fact- it was like, if you... <laughs> <laughs> when the funds when the fun stops double down <laughs> yeah exactly when the fun stops it means you could just have more fun when the fun stops you're not just not betting enough <laughs> exactly but no it is an interesting transformation in the betting industry because obviously you used to have just the halftime ads of Messi to score the next goal seven to one you know spurs to come back and win three one 15 to one and they were just like pumping this idea into you constantly Bet three six five ones with like Ray Winston. Ray Winston, just his massive head coming onto your screen, like projected behind this kind of hologram of football that was going on, as if Ray Winston was some footballing god, like the deity that controlled the footballing world and was encouraging you, like, just so you know, God Winston has told you that Messi is the most likely next goal scorer. Gambling was you're right actually about that kind of transformation though, because because what is it, like 30, 40 years ago in the UK, where obviously gambling is really prevalent with all the bookmaker shops, uh, you couldn't advertise that you're a bookmaker. So all the bookmakers had, they were just kind of blacked out, if that makes sense. It was almost akin to like walk into like a porno or something like that, like a porn, like a sex shop. How, how many, how many? <laughs> like a walking into like, like a, a porno. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, think, I think Sam, I think Sam, you watch a very unique type of porn. Gambling porn. Yeah, I mean, we obviously gambling porn. <laughs> we obviously know that you maybe have a different taste uh, to us in some respects. But I still like the idea that your fantasy is you like walk in and go like, hey, uh, can you do a price check on the uh, 245 at Haydock for me? And you're, did you bring your own betting pencil? Well, I guess you could say I did. And then it just kicks off. Show you my Yankee. I'll give you, yeah, I'll give you a, <laughs> I'll give you a price boost if you just slip behind this, behind the counter here for a couple of minutes. Just get your uh, FOBT out. But no, I, I no, just, like I just betting used Sam to be like walking that. into like, I picture Sam walking into a cafe to try and get, you know, like a coffee. And he walks in and just, you're just filming a porno. Oh, sorry. It's, it's, did I walk into another porno? Oh my God, I do this every Not again. week. <laughs> so frustrating. <laughs> it also, it's a bit confusing given the fact that you worked in a, in a bookies at Ladbrokes for several years. Were you just, it was just, were you big, just waiting just, for the big, did no, you think just, you'd been, you'd hired, been hired as like a fluffer or something? Well, it was just, just one big set. It was just one big constant set. I was always curious about why there were so many security cameras. Yeah. He was just like, <laughs> wow, the scene must be about to start. I guess I'm just never in it. I'm just, I'm just B-roll in this uh, particular <laughs> porno. Just like, just oh, yeah. to add real, just to add realism to it. It's like we can. No one will take our porn seriously if we don't have at least twelve hours of just a man sitting behind a desk taking actual bets. You or maybe, that. or maybe there's Four, a lot of porn out there hours. with with Sam superimposed into it. Like they take the screen, so it looks like Sam is in the scene, but he's just sitting in the booth behind, <laughs> just watching. Just how he likes it. Yeah, watching them do it on yeah. the virtual roulette. Yeah, I'm in the background. I'm 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 not good for the spotlight. Yeah, I'm kind of. Yeah, he was just always hoping, you know, like there would be those scenes where the guy goes, "I've just lost my last bet. How am I going to be able to pay for lunch?" And Sam would go, "Oh, 
I'll give you 20 pounds if you do a few things for me. Oh, that's too obvious. No, that's too. Oh, sorry. Sorry. I didn't know that you, I didn't you need, meet you. No, no, no. You need to get, you need to get creative. You need to say something about okay, like. You a, need, a, it needs to transform into a real art form there, I guess. Yeah. I've got a Tesco sandwich behind the counter. Yeah, but that's nothing to do with gambling. call me Sam the Squid for nothing. Yeah, but there's nothing. You want a taste of my prawn cocktail? <laughs> no, it's got to be gambling orientated. You've got to do something like. Or Kalmari. <laughs> I'll show you a lucky 15. <laughs> yeah, but I think he wouldn't understand that. He'd be like, what are you talking about? And he'd be like, yeah, no, get behind here. I'll show you my lucky 15. Yeah, sorry, I don't understand you. I'm just trying to have a bet on the next race. No, no, come on, get behind the counter. I'll <laughs> show you my lucky 15. I'm just, I'm just trying and to have he, sex with someone. Yeah, and the guy, the guy would be like, no, nah, I still don't get it. I just want to put this bet on, please. And he'd be like, just get behind the counter and blow me. <laughs> Damn, does that make us explicit? I thought we were going to get to the end of this one without being explicit. Every one of our episodes is explicit. I just ex- I just check the explicit tag on every episode so that we never get into trouble. Uh, you've just made it that, so... I would say that actually most of our episodes probably aren't really explicit, you know? So, in other words, it's fine for our listeners to play this for their young children. <laughs> really? Really? Yeah, why not? <laughs> What's the worst, Sam? What, Sam? What was the biggest bet you ever took as a bookie? Twelve um, inches. <laughs> Did you win? Twelve. <laughs> nobody wins when, when, with twelve when, inches. When twelve inches is involved, nobody <laughs> loses. Um, I took. I probably. Uh, fuck. <laughs> I probably took bigger. But we're going to take that one in context and say, I think the biggest I remember is that I took 10K on Franklin and the Queen Anne. To pay back what, four? Uh, it, was, it was one to nine at the time. So what you went in there, like 1,100. <laughs> I think you went in about 1,100 on a one to nine shot. Go ahead, Eddie. Give us, give us your saying. I think I've already said it, haven't I already? But yeah, no, where else? You know, you're not going to get a bank that pays you pays you returns of 15% in two and a half minutes. You you get that tattooed. What was the biggest ever paid out? Did you ever cash out a big one? (laughs) Damn it. A big I have never known gambling to be this kind of like (laughs) suggestive. (laughs) How could Uh, it not be in all those all those bookmaker porns you watch. Yeah, for like five years in a bookie, I was in a constant porno. Yeah, I did never saw it as this suggestive. Gonna have, to, gonna have to ask Ollie what he was up to. I don't know. Well, we were just playing football manager for most. Ollie is definitely the director. <laughs> wow, he just has the hair for it. <laughs> <laughs> he just looks like a director. I- <laughs> See, the sad thing is for people who don't know Ollie, which is most of our listeners. Um, the idea of probably what they're imagining as a porn director, you're kind of thinking of like a Hollywood director, not a sleazy porn director. No, he's a high-end porn director. Oh, okay. Yeah. He's, he's like getting like really nice escorts. He's, he's like, he's like, you know who he is? He's like the guy and girl next door that Timothy Oliphant plays. That's what he is. He's the okay, wow, you're comparing him to Timothy wow. Oliphant. That's that's a real compliment. I was going to say that the viewers have probably got like Ollie now as like a Ron Jeremy type looking person. Who knows what Ollie looks like? He's uh, he's fallen off the face of the earth anyway. He does, doesn't he? We'll Ollie, if you're listening, 
send one of us a text message so we know you're okay. Yeah, light a signal we fire. Just do something. Just do something. Let us know you're okay. Put a flare up in the air. Um, so what's biggest the biggest bet, bet I, you ever cash? I think I'm certain I've paid out six figures uh, before wow. on like a like a treble or something like that, like a fourfold. I'm I'm pretty or like a lucky fifteen, maybe like four selections. Did you say six fingers? No, <laughs> I didn't say anything close to that. Actually, <laughs> I said. <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure I've paid. Like, I'm trying to think of do when. You, do you even write the check in that situation? Okay, the British banking system is a lot more advanced than the American. Like, you oh, wouldn't right, give someone a. You would. You would bank. Yeah, or you would do like a part. So someone maybe you'd be able to pay them like ten grand, and then they'd have like ninety k on their um, account or something like that. But. Yeah, I've paid that before. You know, um, in bookmakers, they do that kind of lottery that they run. I think I paid someone who did like a, a Yankee. I think I paid him like 20 grand or something like that. They've got so this was a porno numbers. where an English person did an yeah. American? <laughs> lottery. Uh, you really did, a, you did a really, really did a number on that Yankee. I'll give you 20 grand for that one. We're going to be able to clip that into four movies. Yeah. What the hell is a Yankee? Do you not know it's what just a, the it's Yankee It's just a multiple. It's, it's like a lucky 15 without the singles. It's a lucky yeah. 15 without the oh, singles. Okay. So it's a fourfold, three treble. It's 11 bets. So it's um, a fourfold. Uh, and then whatever the rest is. Yeah. Wow. Way to, way to bail on that one. <laughs> yeah. I just, well, it wasn't anything <laughs> anyway. I, no, I know. Yeah, hey, it wasn't very good. Hey, I'm going to give you all these details now. Yeah. Not, I've yeah, lost interest in myself. So there you go. Wait, you've got all the sayings over in the US, betting wise, haven't you? Like patent. Parlays. Exacta. Trifecta. <laughs> superfecta. You have a superfecta. Yeah, it's the first four in a horse race. Anything else? But anyway, who are we hoping then? So we Peroni sponsored this week's podcast. Uh, for all of you out there listening, even young children, go out, grab yourself a Peroni. Really hot weather at the moment. It's very refreshing. It's light nice, alcohol cool, anyway. Nice, yeah, nice cool Peroni on a on a warm summer's day. Nothing beats it. What about a Bulmers a on ice? Bulmers haven't sponsored us yet, so uh, I'm refusing to plug them. No free ads Help here. You. If Bulmer sponsored us and they could ship it to me, that would be the greatest sponsorship. We've we're in, we're in, we're in advanced talks at the moment with Sayat, so we'll see. Can they ship a Sayat full of Bulmers to, to Arizona? They would probably triple the value of the Sayat, so I doubt it. Whatever it would, it would still be cheaper to send that than it would be land rollers. Oh, don't even get me started. <laughs> Well, Land the, Rollers the, reached out. I'm a brand ambassador now. I didn't want to bring you guys in. They listened to the podcast and they, they heard all the bad things you had to say. So it's, it's just a private deal for me. Okay. The problem with Land, Ro- Land Rollers sending Land you Rovers. Land Rollers <laughs> is that they'd have to reopen the factory and start remaking them again. <laughs> you can imagine the guy walking in, like turning the key and all these cobwebs, the lighting coming on for the first time in 30 years. Oh, We're har, back. har. Here we go, guys. <laughs> rip into, rip into this. Just because I got a brand sponsorship deal and you guys don't have one. I mean, it can't. But you We're even back. touched on it, Frank. You even touched on it, Frank. 
Land Rover, not far away from Land Rover. So I'm, I'm, I'm only a slip of the tongue away from a sponsorship deal that everybody wants. That's suggestive. Yeah, you've said that before, haven't you, <laughs> Sam? Sam the Squid has been a slip of the tongue away from a few things. All right, Sam, make sure you don't read up any hockey-related. Oh, I'm, there won't be I know that you're any normally, sort of concern. Yeah, there won't be any concern of that happening. I know that you're normally just bombarded with nonstop ice hockey, but just, you yeah. know, don't watch the TV. Probably don't, don't even open your laptop for the next, the next uh, 48 hours. Just really try just, to avoid it. I might just power down my house. And, yeah. you know, and no sleep. electricity, no nothing. I might just, I might just hibernate for maybe. Three yeah, days. put yourself into a medically induced coma for the next two days, just to be on the safe side, because we don't really want to ruin this bit. If only we were big enough that we could have someone create little Instagram pictures of Sam's face on a squid in different situations. It would no, I just be really funny. it might be our first merch might have to be Sam the Squid T-shirts. It depends. If if, 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 if if I do win, it might actually be like yeah, Sam if, the Squid. If you win, if you win, Sam the Squid if, beats Duca. <laughs> no, no. If you win, we might have to have Sam the Squid merch. If you win, the one could be. Do you ever see like the picture of the giant squid that's attacking the whale? It can be like the NHL logo, and it could be Sam the Squid attacking the NHL logo. Well, I mean, why would he be attacking the NHL? I think he'd be attacking you. Because he took the NHL by its balls. No, he got no, no, Frank. Frank, he'll be taking you by your balls. Let's just let's be fair. This will not be a critique of the NHL if Sam gets it right. This will oh, be a God. critique of you. Yeah, am I walking this... into another hockey porno? <laughs> you are. <laughs> you are. Oh, this isn't where I parked my car. Yeah. I mean, you're the one talking about ball grabbing. <laughs> yeah. Hey, there's no balls in hockey. Shut the puck. <laughs> Good up. one. Yeah. Sorry. Just. I'm just going to just fly it out there. All right. Well, um, don't forget to rate us and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And now rate us and subscribe on Spotify officially. Um, if you want to see a little more about us, they can go on what? Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at, what is it, Eddie? We, we, we don't have Facebook, but yeah. Oh. If you're a really big fan, create a Facebook fan page for us. Maybe a Wikipedia. How about that? Those are, we're missing both of those things. So if you really want to be the first person to receive some Sam the Squid free merch, go out and do that. I'll make sure you, know, you then can email me, prove that you created it, and we'll get you, we'll get you a Sam the Squid t-shirt in the mail. Before buy, I just love the idea of the Sam the Squid free merch just being some like cold calamari <laughs> oh, it will just be a dead squid <laughs> just, just, send a, just gonna send an uncooked squid to someone's house and i'm not even gonna package it properly no ice or anything just stick it in just stick it in like a yellow envelope and just mail it wherever they are i don't even think you do yellow i think you put it in a ziploc so everyone can see what you're shipping to oh, i don't know if they would do that no i would do it like um like when they're kind of doing like organ when they're doing organ transportation, I would just give it to someone in like a cool box in like a moped. No, <laughs> because you know what you're saying is instead of someone getting a heart for their heart transplant, they're going to get to the operating table, open it up and be like, oh shit, we got Sam squitted. Yeah. Uh, it's like getting Rick rolled. Yeah. It's going to really take over. Just someone really with, take over. Someone getting really excited for their Sam the Squid merch and just getting a human heart. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You play it both ways. Sorry, Lucy. We're not going to be able to get you that heart today. <laughs> Unless you want the squid. <laughs> but we did get this Sam the Squid 
beanie. Beanie. You can put that on for a while. Send the squid before bottle you, Before you die, you can have this beanie on. Here, our, our, uh, our like, uh, like finger sp- fidget spinners or whatever they are, are they still a thing? We can get some of those. <laughs> Sorry, what were they? The little spinning things, you know, that people, all the young kids were playing question. with for a while. No, I just saw you having like them. a small stroke as you said it. Well, I couldn't remember. <laughs> They're fidget spinners, aren't they? Fidget spinners? Or are they finger spinners? I think it's fidget Fidget, yeah. Fidget, yeah. Fidget. So I was just hesitating between the two. But yeah, we could get some Sam the Squid fidget spinners because like it's quite squid-like, right? With a, you, could have, you could have like eight little things sticking off from it so you could spin. Maybe that increases the difficulty so it really takes off. Because people are like, if you can spin... A Sam the Squid fidget spinner. You can spin anything. All right. Well, on that, we'll say bye again in a few days. Have a good one. See you later.